0: Well, the post-truth world came into very common parlance when Donald Trump was elected. Here's the Washington Post every day documenting his lies, and they said after four years he told 30,000 lies, you know? (laughs) But what's really interesting, many of Donald Trump's followers to this day don't just believe, say, he was a great president. They specifically believe he was the most honest president. That's a great example of this post-truth world we live in, where everyone is getting their information from different sources.
1: Welcome to Lead With Your Brand. The podcast that explores exceptional career success stories, inspiring and insightful personal brand journeys that answer the question, are you coffee or are you Starbucks? Fascinating conversations with leaders about their career breakthroughs from entertainment, tech, media, and more. You'll learn how they've turned up the volume on their brand to unlock success. First-hand, uncensored, and real, as told by people who've been there. And plenty of inspiration and practical tools to help you lead with your brand every day as you drive towards your next career breakthrough. And now, here's your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria.
2: Hey everybody, Jason Patria here and you are listening to the lead with your brand podcast, which is the podcast for folks just like you who are looking to turn up the volume, share your value and lead with your brand to your next career breakthrough. We've got another amazing show for you today. In fact, we have guest Scott Baradell, the CEO of PR agency Idea Grove and the author of the new book, Trust Signals, Brand Building in a Post Truth World. But before we get to Scott, I want to talk a little bit about someone whose brand I admire, and it is former First Lady Michelle Obama. Now, last week I was flipping through the late night shows and I saw Michelle Obama on Jimmy Fallon. So, of course, I had to pause everything, put my phone down, and watch the interview because one of the reasons that I have always loved Michelle Obama is. Is that she's so true to herself and so unique, she's never been someone trying to wear the part of being first lady. In fact, I remember the first time or one of the first times she was on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, she did the iconic dance sequence with Jimmy where they did the whole mom dance. Now, I will tell you, I have had the great privilege of meeting Michelle Obama a couple of times, and I remember the very first time I happened to be invited to a White House Christmas party, and I had no expectation that the first family was going to be there. But I remember seeing out of the corner of my eye a Secret Service agent come and put the presidential seal on a podium in the lobby of the White House. So, of course, I had to run up and go and stand right at the front of the line because I knew that was the signal that the Obamas were going to come down. Now, Michelle and President Barack Obama came down, and of course, they are just just glamorous I mean I think of them as like glamazons as a short guy who's like five foot four they're just towering and statuesque but I remember after their remarks they came down the line and I remember Michelle coming and shaking my hand and as she was walking away I just said thank you mrs. Obama you know we really need more of you on the Jimmy Fallon show and you know what she turned around and she started laughing and she came back to me in the group of people I was with and she said you know what I've got things in the works because this was actually coming into the final year of the Obama administration and she said I'm planning my final appearance and it's top secret with Jimmy but we are gonna make sure that is super special and then she started talking with the group of people around me and actually put her hand on my shoulder and was leaning on me and I was like oh my gosh I have been touched by an angel but what I love about Michelle is that what you see is what you get, right? She's not putting on a show. She's being her genuine, warm self. And I love that she talks about those attributes in her about being a mom. And she was really core in showing up for the Obama administration to be a visual representation of what the administration stood for. And again, regardless of your politics, you have to think about how smart she was in leading with her brand. Remember, she She brought this casual elegance back to the White House in many ways similar to what we had seen from Jackie Kennedy way back in the 60s. I mean, she had the ability to wear clothes for herself and get clothes for her daughters, Sasha and Malia, that were from J. Crew and and suddenly sold out all over America and online. Remember, she bore her arms and it was all about showing her fitness and being a modern first lady. But behind that were core elements, actions and behaviors that really showed how Michelle Obama led with her brand. Remember, she went out and planted a victory garden. She went out and championed fitness in schools and championed healthy foods for kids going to public schools, which is where most kids across the United States get their food. Now, I remember one of the second times I met Michelle Obama. I had the great honor of being a keynote speaker at my mentor, Elliot Macy's huge annual learning conference in Orlando and I remember that Michelle was really the tentpole signature keynote speaker at that event and my mentor Elliot came to me and he said you know what I need to brief Michelle backstage because she's coming straight from Orlando International Airport would you warm up the crowd for me which I did and of course it was wild because the secret service was there and normally I like to jump out into the audience and interact with the crowd but I couldn't even get off the stage because the Secret Service was patrolling there. But after the event, there was a small group of us that got to go backstage and talk to Michelle Obama and have pictures taken, and I remember thanking her again and letting her know, hey, you know what? I had run into Valerie Jarrett, who was an advisor to President Obama, and I said, you know, Valerie was telling me all about that evening when marriage equality passed, and you went out and lit up the White House. House in Rainbow. And Michelle stopped and she literally said, oh, I need to tell you the real scoop. And she gave me the whole story about how she and Sasha put on baseball caps and snuck out away from Secret Service into the crowd to see the sunset when the White House was illuminated in rainbows. And it struck me afterwards, and especially when I got the photo later, that Michelle Obama shows up with her warmth, her friendliness, and being a mom to everyone while being super smart. Now, I will tell you the most interesting thing that I learned from Michelle was she was asked on stage by, again, my mentor Elliot Maisie how the White House changes you. And she said the White House doesn't change you. It exposes who you really are. She said, there is no training in the world that can help you be something in the White House. You just have to show your true colors. And I thought, that's the essence of your brand. Your brand has to be refined, but it has to be so core to who you are that when you're in those stressful situations, you are shining through as your authentic self. Well, we've got an amazing show for you today. I've got Scott Baradell, who is the CEO of PR agency The Idea Grove. Now, he is a writer and entrepreneur who grew his PR agency with business generated by its popular blog. Now, Idea Grove is one of the top 25 tech PR agencies in the United States. It's a three-time Inc. 5000 company and an Inc. Best Workplace in 2021 and twenty twenty. Now, back in 2020, Scott started a second blog called Trust Signals, which was all about providing news, analysis, and practical advice on what it takes to build trust with customers and the public in today's post-truth world. The blog inspired and culminated in his brand new book, Trust Signals, Brand Building in a Post-Truth World. We will be back in just a moment with Scott Baradale. Down, 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 down. And we are back. I have an amazing guest with us today. It is Scott Baradell, the CEO of PR agency Idea Grove and the author of the new book, Trust Signals Brand Building in a Post Truth World. Scott, what's going on? I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to talk about. Um building a brand
0: and all all kinds of other stuff.
2: Yay. Well, I'm super excited because you have an amazing career and you're also an expert at brand building. So let's dive right in. You know, Scott, you talk all about trust signals. So tell me, when you first meet people, how do you introduce yourself in a way that says who you are and helps build trust?
0: Well, I tell people that I own a PR firm that helps B2B tech companies, which is our specialty, to build trust with their audiences. Um, because and then when they ask, oh, build trust, because a lot of times with PR firms, they think it's oh, it's about awareness or visibility. Yeah. They say, Well, yeah, if you just wanted awareness, you could these in this day and age, you could just you know, target your audiences and follow them around with ads all day. And you'd you'd much more cost effectively make them aware of you. They would hate you, but they would be aware of you. <laughs> uh, you know. Um, and so, what I explain is, you know, you don't go to all that trouble to get that article in a in a prestigious publication or whatever your goals are from a PR standpoint to get awareness, especially at a time when. It's so fragmented in terms of what media people consume, right? It's more about, oh, you got in there and then tell everybody you got in it. It's for the Mm. trust that that uh, the credibility and authority and trust that that conveys. And that's really what Trust Signals is all about, that media is just one way to do that uh, as a person or a brand.
2: Yeah. So I love that this is all about, right, building trust and defining that it's not just being uh, aware. Now, I know we're going to talk a little bit about the book Trust Signals. But the first thing I want to talk to you about is a little bit about your career, because I know so many of our listeners are aspiring to be in the C-suite and be CEOs. So tell me, Scott, what were some of the career breakthroughs on your path to being a CEO of a huge PR agency?
0: Well, I think you know I'm um, like a lot of people. I've I've been through a few different careers at this yeah. point in in my journey, and have had my share of successes and failures. And as a, as I think a lot of people who who kind of get a little further in life realize, the failures can be just as helpful or more so than the than the successes. But yeah. for me, for me, um, I started out in journalism and. Uh, I started out, you know, uh, at, at newspapers in and, and Dallas and elsewhere, kind of low person on the totem pole, and I had to figure out how to change that. And yeah. so, what I found very early on um, is figure out how to get on the front page, you know, mm. and that's with within within the newspaper. Yeah. So if if it meant. Um, working after hours or, you know, you're doing all these, you know, you're chasing crime stories or things like that during, during your, your, your regular hours, come up with some kind of enterprise story that is going to blow people away and get that on the front page. And pretty soon you're getting a promotion sooner than the other folks. And so I think that, that idea of, of breaking through in that way, it, that's a very tangible way you do that in the
2: journalism world. So what was that breakthrough moment for you where you first got a, story that you were covering on the front page
0: wow okay yeah it's actually started um uh, those are some of my favorite stories so thank you for asking uh, no one ever has ever asked me that probably not even my wife so i'll tell you, <laughs> you <laughs> probably didn't want to hear it so 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 like a, a month after i started my first job in journalism so i had a this is a perfect example of what i'm talking about i it was hard at that time it's easier now to get uh, a job at a newspaper, a good job at a paper. I had been editor of my college publication, uh, used those clips to get to get uh, a first, first job. But the job was 3 p.m. to midnight, working hmm. in the police station, <laughs> literally in the, in the police <laughs> station, listening to a police scanner and waiting for something bad to happen to go chase it down at night. So that was my job. So I really had to figure out how, how do I... How do I get out of here and do something I enjoy more? <laughs> How do I have a life, right? <laughs> yeah. And so the first story I came up with is literally was a month after I started. I started in August, and I said, the school year is about to start. And I said, hey, you know, I still – I at the time, you know, I was pretty baby-faced still. I said, you know, I bet I could pass for uh, a senior in high school. Um, what if for the as a wow. first day of school story, I went back – and just wrote kind of a, a funny story about my experience. And I, and I divided it from, you know, each period and talking about my experience in each period of the class and conversations with students. And uh, people really loved it. And it was, you know, kind of going undercover. And that got me a lot of attention, right? Yeah. It, was, it, it took up an entire front page of a section, wow. you know, with pictures of me, you know, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a reporter, you know, you're usually lucky <laughs> to get a byline. They had a picture of me holding books and everything. So that's a great example of how you can it's, it's just kind of say, come up with some way. Don't just say, yeah. dang, I got this crappy job where I work three to midnight. Figure out some way to break out of it. There's, there's usually some crack in, the, crack in the door that you can open up.
2: Yeah. And so, of course, you went all 21 Jump Street, uh, undercover (laughs) high school student. And I'm sure there's plenty of listeners that are now Googling 21 Jump Street to know what that is. And when I transitioned out of that... I got a little lost when
0: I got into the corporate world because I had yeah. come from, I was a writer. I didn't know anything. I didn't know how to balance my checkbook. I didn't know much <laughs> about the business world at all, you know, seriously. And, and, and so I, I felt a little like, is this for me? Yeah. Um, I, was very, I was very fortunate to have a, 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 um, a CEO at a company I worked for, a tech company I worked for, the first tech company I worked for, um, who sponsored uh, me getting a, an MBA. And oh, that... Wow was a, that was a breakthrough moment for me as someone who had not necessarily for everyone there's no magic to an MBA per se but yeah. for me as someone who had been very much a creative and a writer and not really a business oriented person it gave me such a framework for understanding this world that I was part of and that really kind of set me on a journey where I said you know why can't I own my own business why can't I be um you know the CMO of a company or be in a leadership position. I think that, that for me personally gave me enough context and, uh, that, that I felt comfortable making that next move. And then I guess finally, you know, with Idea Grove, it wasn't, I, you know, this is, I, I founded this company 18 years ago, so yeah. I've had it a long time. So, but the first five years, it was just me. Um, mm. and I kind of liked it because, it's low risk and I didn't have to deal with people. I didn't have some huge ambition to own a company, but you know, there's only so much one individual can do, you know, for clients, right? It's not like you're gonna work for huge brands and do massive projects. And I said, I finally decided to, with the encouragement of of family and friends, take the plunge just because, you know what? At this stage in my career, go for it, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I just still remember my hand trembling when I signed the first lease and all of that. And, <laughs> but, but but when I think about, when I think about breakthrough moments, you know, I think in my journalism career and and the, the things that I fought to get noticed, and then in my marketing career, how, how that MBA helped me to feel, you know, to put me in a position where I felt like I could kind of compete with the big boys, I guess. Uh, and then, uh, and then, and then starting the business, I think, has been and just kind of taking that risk was, was kind of the third big moment.
2: Now, Scott, I I, I want to know because so many of our listeners walk this tightrope between these creative roles and business roles. So, talk to me when you were going to get your MBA or even deciding to go get that MBA. How was it that you made a choice that you were going to kind of shift from being a journalist, shift from being a storyteller, to then be a business person and learn all of those things that didn't sound very fun back when you first became a writer and journalist?
0: That's a good question. I was a a journalist for for six years. And and frankly, I saw the writing on the wall in terms of where traditional journalism was going. um, And that's what you know cause my first job in a corporate marketing job was was actually to ghostwrite a book for the mm. CEO of a financial services firm so it was my very first job it evolved into kind of running PR for them and it kind of went from there but what i realized is <clears throat> even though several years in to doing this um, i still felt like basically my confidence was writing i didn't mm. really feel like an authority or someone who really should be listened to on it. So in other words, my some people are just naturally confident. My confidence has to come from exp- my lived experience and, yeah. and, and that, and that that's what makes me comfortable. I want to make sure what I'm saying is not bullshit basically. And that, yeah. that, that, that takes, that takes doing the work. Right. And so I felt like I hadn't done it. Um, and I felt like, um, I was just going to be in a position where, within a corporate setting I'd be the writer guy and yeah. and there's a there's a there's a, a relatively low ceiling for that at most companies you know um, and because it, it, even if you're just if you if you're going to be not the CEO but say VP of communications for example you have to know how to talk to the CFO and you need to have to have, know enough about finance and accounting and these things to not like look like an idiot in a conversation about an earnings release so these are these are just the kinds of things that it's like, do you want to be this very limited person that's going to get bored and burn out probably in a corporate setting? Or do you like, I, there were pathways I was recruited for things like, Oh, being a speech writer for um, a CEO at a big company, you know, it would have yeah. paid well and stuff, but I thought still that's going to get old. Right. Yeah. So this just seemed to, if I would just invest in the learning of, hmm. of, of the and, and embrace learning about the business world, um, then it would really open up a lot more pr- possibilities. Kind of like with with trust signals. The reason I came up with the concept was I wanted to open up the 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 the, the identity of the PR firm and the purpose of PR firm to to have wider horizons than just trying to get chasing, chasing down reporters to write a story about your client, um, is kind of the same thing for me personally. There was I wanted to carve out a path that would give me more options that would be more interesting.
2: Yeah. And earlier, Scott, you talked uh, about, you know, we're defined by successes, but as we become more advanced in our career, it's some of those failures that become some of the greatest learning and impact moments. So you've been a CEO for, you know, 18 years now, what have been some of those moments of failure that you now identify were actually like big learning moments for you as a leader of an organization?
0: Because I was more into the work, I guess, and the writing and the client relations. I, I, I was never the best at managing people. Um, yeah. And so I, I, I definitely had some, some real failures in terms of, of making some, some bad hires and, and that were, not nothing wrong with with the, the people I hired it's just that it wasn't for the right thing or yeah. or you know and I just think about uh, in retrospect the amount of unnecessary stress and drama and trauma and all those things just because I didn't take enough time yeah to make sure I was building a culture that was cohesive and the people would get along and and all those things and 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 have shared values I Finally, recognized a few years ago that you know I was good at being kind of the visionary uh, of the firm. I'm good at doing some of the work we do, but the operation side would even though I understand how to read a balance sheet and stuff, all of that was not my strength. And so I hired a a, a COO um, yeah. who had who had who was very experienced um, to come in, uh, and he transformed so much for us in terms of you know. Figuring out what you want to do um, as, a, as a culture of your organization, making sure the values are not just something that's on a wall, but that's being uh, referred to in the interview process, yeah. in the review process, promotion, raises. It's made a tremendous difference. Knock on wood, we've had almost zero, you know, uh, you know, a, a turnover rate among our team. Uh, for for so long, and you know, in agency life, it's twenty to thirty percent a year is not unusual. Yeah. Um, and and we used to have that, and it's we haven't for for a long time. And I can't take credit for it. I can take credit for realizing I need some help. But gosh, if I knew, if I knew, <laughs> if I knew earlier, I could have saved a lot of pain and stress and trauma for me and and others as well.
2: Yeah. I mean, so it sounds like, Scott, for you, it was really that realization of like, what are you great at? And what do you really love doing? And when you can acknowledge that there's things that you don't love doing, and oftentimes, we're not great at those things, too, then you can actually take action. And, and, right, I mean, you outsourced something that you weren't great at, and you brought in like an expert at that. So that's such a cool, cool kind of lesson and thought you know scott you are an expert at brand building so let's talk about your brand give me three words that you or others would use to describe you as an executive and a leader
0: um good or bad (laughs) 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 you could go either way with this um I'll tell what I've tried to foster. Uh, yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to turn this into a very long answer because it's not supposed to be. But as a perfectionist in writing and stuff, when you first start to hire people, you can kind of put that on other people, and it, it doesn't work that way. You can't do that. So just finding that zen to be able to be patient, kind of like um, you have to be patient. Um, as a parent, I've got five kids now that's taught me a lot, uh, just different kinds of patients in different situations, but recognizing that you have to be there in a supportive way for people. So I think that 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 is a big part of what I try to do as a leader. Um, I think there's still a, a real um, commitment to quality that I think people who know me, know the agency, know that that they can trust that in us. Um, And then I think um, loyalty, you know, we um, have a lot of people who have been with us a long time now and we've done things like once they're with us for five years, they get to have a five week sabbatical and things like Mm. that. Um, It shows that we and I just really, I I'm honored when people choose to spend uh, a chunk of their careers with me. I, I truly am. I mean, I've, I'm kind of floored by it um, that I think when I think about someone who spent three, four five, we've got people who've been with me for 10 years yeah. and they chose to spend it as part of this business that I created. So I try to be grateful. So I guess there's, there's three or four words in there, but um, <laughs> I think, I think I try to have gratitude about it as well
2: yeah so i i love these words right you've got your zen patience your commitment to quality loyalty which feels like it it dovetails with the gratitude piece as well so the book is trust signals brand building in a post-truth world so talk to me what is this post-truth world and what do we all need to do about it
0: well the post-truth world it became into Very common parlance when Donald Trump was elected. Here's the Washington Post every day documenting his lies, and they said after four years, he told 30,000 lies, you know. (laughs) But what's really interesting, many of Donald Trump's followers to this day don't just believe, say, he was a great president. They specifically believe he was the most honest president that's a great example of this post-truth world we live in where everyone is getting their information from different sources. We're faced with algorithms that draw us into rabbit holes and draw us into, uh, to like-minded, uh, groups of people, uh, where we're seeing the same, uh, reaffirming information true or or false over and over again. And so in that environment, you know, getting your message across is harder. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and so the the what the point the book makes is that this post-truth landscape isn't relevant just to politics but to to business also because um you know i had a client that was in oil and gas this was 10 years ago when i first started yeah. seeing it happening i got them an interview in the new york times it would have been awesome there it, it was a like from being in PR a long time that was a primo placement no risk yeah. attached this wasn't like a a, a getcha, gotcha story or something but after talking to his, his his customers uh the ceo after saying yes at the last minute turned it down which of course did not make made me persona non grata with that reporter but basically yeah. the ceo said well i talked to my customers and they said they don't trust the new york times can you get me in the wall street journal you know Wow. It didn't used to be like that. Yeah, it didn't used no. to be like that. Or 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 Colin Kaepernick. Here's another great example. So yeah. Nike, this was a few years ago when they had their big anniversary campaign, they aligned with Colin Kaepernick, um big investment in him, big investment in the campaign. When it happened, you had people all over social media, Twitter and so forth burning their Nikes and we're going to yeah. you know, we're going to can- we're going to cancel you Nike um let's just say Nike was not worried because they had done their research and they knew the buyers of their products. Who's
2: the real fan.
0: Yeah. The buyers of their products would be like, yes, you know, he's the perfect representative of our values. And sure enough, sure enough, stock price went through the roof. They tracked, I don't remember the exact number, but a ton of incremental revenues specifically to that campaign. It was a huge success for them. Why if it's so hard to get a media placement today since yeah there's half as many journalists as there were 20 years ago and things like that, why would you bust your butt to get into something that your your audience isn't gonna see and maybe the the media outlet they haven't heard of or don't care about? Shouldn't you be focused on the ones that have an influence on specifically your audience? That's all all I mean by the post-truth world in a brand context is really you can separate the political element out of it and say we don't have shared sources of truth anymore. Mm. That, that's indisputable. Yeah. So not having shared sources of truth, that means we have to work harder. We have to cobble together what I call these breadcrumbs of trust to lead people that we're trying to reach to where we want to take them.
2: Yeah, and so it sounds like Scott it really starts with your audience, right? And this is maybe one of those key Absolutely. learnings, right? Is is it's not about like what do you trust? It's about like what are those breadcrumbs that your audience trusts, right? The people that you're really trying to serve.
0: You know, exactly. You know, it's uh, it, the difference between ready uh, ready aim fire and ready fire aim, you know, you have to if you're going to invest in this, you you really need to know who you're who you're going after and you know, marketers for A long time have have put together buyer personas, but what we've added in recent years beyond that is, in addition to the buyer persona, is what we call a trust profile. Because Mm. for two reasons, buyer what buyer personas don't typically cover is factors besides the product that contribute to a purchase. In other words, Mm. you might I might not I might buy your product not because I think it's the best product, but because I align with your values. You're really Absolutely. into sustainability, or or you did something in the community that, that I think is good. And I might say, gosh, I don't know if they're what what they sell is even quite as good as this other one, but it makes me feel better. It makes me feel like I'm um, that this money that I'm spending is going towards doing something good and supporting people who are like minded with me. So that's one example that you typically you don't capture that in a buyer persona process because you're so yeah. focused on the product itself. And what? why did you choose this product versus that product? The other thing is, you know, you have to think about audiences beyond the buyer now. You know, mm. buyer personas specifically telling you who it cares about. But, you know, these days, you know, people who aren't your buyers can shut your business down. You know, mm. They can yeah. have an enormous influence. Yeah. You can be canceled by people who've never bought your product. Um, uh, so you have to think about um, all the audiences that matter uh, to your brand, buyers and non buyer audiences, and how you're going to build relationships of trust. With them too,
2: yeah. And so, Scott, talk to me when you think about that notion from trust signals and building trust with you know your buyers or in your career. I might call them like your super fans, your career audience avatars and 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 personas as well as those non non folks. What is it that individual leaders, whether you're an executive or a, a leader in an organization, and you're trying to amplify your professional brand? How could you apply some of these elements from trust signals to your own career and brand?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. The principle of trust signals applies um, equally well to personal branding as it does to um, corporate branding. Um, For example, hey, I produced a book. uh, Trust signals came out in October. I'm not, um, you know, Malcolm Gladwell or Stephen King. I'm not a household name. Yet. So... What, what so? What do I do? I try to try to present a really compelling biography and in then side cover that says if you read it, you say, "Oh, this guy might know what he's talking about." Um, I try to have quotes, those famous blurbs on the book jacket from people who are better known than me. That's the whole point to um, to say good things about it. That's a third party endorsement. That's important. Yeah. Um, I I try to. Look, anyone who's launching a book today, one of the first big parts of that launch is get in, get reach out to your personal network, get some Amazon reviews, and get that critical mass of Amazon reviews. So people are going to look for five star reviews. If I have, I try to get on podcasts like yours. Yeah. <laughs> you know, these are all examples. Well, these are all examples of trust signals yeah. for the purpose of hopefully building my credibility around this topic of trust and trust signals, yeah. and maybe someone will read my book for me. I'm really not trying to sell books per se because've you know I've got a website I've had for over three years called trustsignals.com where I have put the entire book um, chapter by chapter uh, as long blog posts that are it's available for free, and now I've started a podcast where each chapter of the audiobook is being released as a podcast episode for free. So I mm-hmm. just want to have a positive influence frankly on I want to help. Small businesses, entrepreneurs, uh, marketers, but, but really help PR people to kind of stop painting themselves into a corner and, and advance their profession. So, you know, I just have this this real goal of, of getting these ideas in front of people in hopes that it will help.
2: So I love that, Scott, because whether or not you're launching a book, all of those things that you talked about are things that can be on your LinkedIn, like they could be on your annual performance evaluation if you're in that corporate structure, right? I mean, it's like all about these thoughtful and strategic ways of like showing up, but also doing that in a way that's helpful for other people, right? It's not about like, I'm here to brag, you're here to like help people and and give us insight.
0: Yeah. And, and to your point in, in terms of a career, uh, let's say, you know, you're looking for your next job. Once I find the company I'm interested in, I don't just show up, hopefully. (laughs) I put together a a resume, a a really nice LinkedIn profile, but also a resume, hopefully scannable, but a resume that um, is going to really make me look like a star, right? I've got to highlight all the high points. I've got to mention the most impressive references I can think of. Mm. You know, These are trust signals. You can't it's the same dating. You're gonna go out on a date, you know. <laughs> you're, you're gonna, you're gonna, ch- you're gonna, you're gonna check them out on social media, yeah, to, to vet them. Uh, and then if you're, if you're, then you want to have some nice pictures of yourself on Instagram or TikTok or whatever, looking like you're a good catch, right?
2: <laughs> and it makes me think, Scott. Like, if I'm working in a corporation. Right. Or even if I'm an entrepreneur, it's like when you have great interactions with folks like your restaurant asks you to asks you to review on Yelp, like you could ask someone, hey, would you mind uh, giving me an endorsement on LinkedIn or doing a review? Right. Like I, I know there's so many times when I was working in the corporate space that, you know, an internal client or stakeholder would send me a thank you email and it's like, oh, that's great. And then I toss it. But Maybe I need yeah. to forward that to my boss, or maybe I need to keep that, and then when I'm writing my end-of-year review, I'm actually bringing up quotes from people, right? And it's it's that whole thing of it's there, but are you looking for it?
0: That is so true. It's something my wife's really good at in, in her job when she gets praise. She files it away for, for when she gets that end review and says, you know. Um, I hopefully my boss likes me, but here's 57 people who said I did something really cool <laughs> that day, you know, and yeah, those are all trust signals.
2: Yeah. And it's also for those folks that are like, I don't want to go out and plant flags and brag about myself. We'll let other people do the work for you. Now, Scott, we could talk all day long, but I've got a couple of quick fire uh, questions for you to to close out. We've been talking all about, you know, your brand as a leader, your uh, trust signals for helping brand build in a post-truth world. What's your favorite brand as a consumer? what 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 can't you live without or what brand do you super trust and love
0: well my favorite brand as a consumer um is lego ooh i'm not I a lego user in fact i've stepped on enough legos to to be <laughs> to have a, a reason to have animosity but i'm just so impressed <laughs> they're the example i use more than anything in terms of what they've been able to create you know they've been around forever yeah since like world war 2 they uh Always seems so fresh and modern mm. at the same time, and they sell little plastic bricks, but you never think of them as as that they because they they so um, effectively and authentically brand themselves as a company that is working to nurture the builders of tomorrow. That's so ex- that's such a, a com- it's such an amazing accomplishment, um, and to be able to turn that into movies. I mean, it's crazy what if you think about it. It's
2: crazy what they've done. And then like cross-branded with all of these other like IP iconic IP brands, right? It's wild. Yeah. What
0: I I can't think of another brand that's accomplished the things that they've done. It's amazing. It's amazing.
2: Now, Scott, if you were a type of car, what type of car would you be, and why?
0: (laughs) Oh my gosh! Well. I guess I should just be honest and say, you know, I've been driving Honda Accords for <laughs> about about twenty twenty years now. So yeah. I, I would love to say I love to say a Maserati, but um, you know, I'm pretty much a Honda Accord. I mean, you know, when I when I, I think about my um, family life and things like that, you know, pretty you know, nothing too nothing too wild. I try to be creative. In, in work, but in terms of just my life, pretty steady. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully, we'll, get, hopefully we'll be able to, to get to that, that 100,000 miles. We'll
2: see. <laughs> well, I know your clients and your family can rely on you like that Honda Accord. Finally, Scott, tell me, what's the best career advice you'd like to pass on to our listeners?
0: It's something I always like to share because it was so impactful to me is when... I was kind of burning out on journalism, really wasn't the, the – realized it wasn't the future for me after imagining it for so long being that. Um, I was very frustrated about where I was in my career. And I had a colleague who was much more Zen-like than I was at the time who said, um, I was saying all these things and all these things I hadn't accomplished and all these things I hadn't achieved. And she said, life is more forgiving than that. Mm. That had such an impact on me because I, you know, I'd been in this race and probably so many people, yeah. younger people are for so long, particularly if you're a high achiever, I got to get yeah. A's, I got to be in these activities, I got to get in the right college, I got to do better, I got to get five Beta Kappa or what are the things you're trying to get. And then you get dumped into the real world and it's not quite such an easy hierarchy as that anymore. Right. Yeah. And, and your choice. And, but people still like to think that way. Oh, my, you're suddenly, you're like, Oh, my friend is, is there and is making that much. And his, their job is more glamorous than mine or her she's doing this and I'm not. But if you're lucky enough to be healthy, life is long. <laughs> you <know? Yeah>. So <laughs> it's not like you're just going to be on some path. You know, you're not going to be like going straight up to be, um, you know, president or something. You know, you you have chances to do other things and you should take advantage of the fact that, you know, that you'll have those chances.
2: Yeah. Well, wise words. Thank you, Scott Baradell, for being on the show. You are the CEO of PR agency Idea Grove, and the book is Trust Signals, Brand Building in a Post-Truth World. Tell us if people want to learn more about Trust Signals. Where should they go?
0: Just go to TrustSignals.com, and there's the links where you can buy the book, where you can listen to the podcast, uh, whatever you'd like to do to learn more about it. It's all there because I started uh, this. with many, many blog posts about the topics that ended up in the book beforehand. So whatever you want to find out that I've done, it's all in one place right
2: there. Awesome. Well, Scott, thank you again for joining us and I'll catch you next time. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And we'll be back in just a few moments with my final thoughts.
1: Are you tired of not being recognized for your work? Are you ready to rise above the rest and accelerate to the next level?
2: Wow, what an amazing conversation with Scott Baradell, the CEO of PR agency Idea Grove and the author of Trust Signals, Brand Building in a Post-Truth World. There were so many great nuggets that came from Scott, but what really stood out to me was this whole notion of you have got to combine what you're great at, what you love, and what there is a need for. Remember, folks, it is great to harness your passions and your skills, But you've got to do it where there's a hole. You've got to look out and say, where are there potholes that if I fill with my energy and my talents, I can make a difference? And most importantly, I can generate revenue and have a career. Well, that's our show for today. If you loved what you heard, make sure you're following us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, and we'll deliver you a brand new show every single Tuesday. Check me out on social media. I'm at Jason Patria on all platforms. And shoot me a note or a connect on LinkedIn. I love to answer questions, and I love to feature some of your questions and thoughts right here on the show. And remember, in your career, don't be a boring old commodity like coffee. Make sure you are that super premium brand like Starbucks.
1: You've been listening to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores and uncovers exceptional career success stories and inspiring personal brand journeys with your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria. Remember to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us at leadwithyourbrand.com.